Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. Yeah. Kind of enthusiasm we've come to expect. Also joining us, Jed Brewer, director of Mission USA Productions. Yeah. <laughs> joining us all the way from Oker City, one of the pastor of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. I was waiting for Glenn to cough. I feel like you gave him a couple beats there and he didn't take it. People love cough talk. <laughs> Could that be our next podcast? Just talk about coughing. <laughs> Talking coughing. Eh? <laughs> She'd be like, oh, like C-O-F-F-F-I-N? Like, is it really hardcore? No, literally, it's middle-aged men <laughs> talking about the various things they hack up out of their lungs. And we don't have too much time to talk coughing on this show. We've got some wonderful questions for you. But first, I must declare an emergency. Uh-oh. And occasionally on this show, I I feel that we may stretch the bounds of the term emergency. You know, sometimes it's, you know, it's like giving. Is that really an emergency? Is that just something we want to talk That's about? That's fair. I feel this week we have something that really, f- there's so many words that could apply to it, and yet no <laughs> words will do. Okay. So emergency is as good as any. Now, we're recording a few weeks before this is actually going to come out, do some you know holiday whatnot. Uh, so here's the thing to you people listening now, this may be old news, but this is literally happened the day we're recording this okay. this morning. Uh, Kanye West noted Christian recording artist, <laughs> apparently <laughs> oh, yeah. went to church. Now there's nothing that outrageous about that. He, he does like right. the, the Sunday service little thing. He's done, he's done that in Chicago a couple of times, you know, one might expect him to show up at a, a large membership church, you know, something like that. And, uh, he showed up at Joel Osteen's church. Uh-huh. Osteen. Osteen. Wow. So there's a lot to to take on there. We we have not dealt with um the Kanye album in general. So maybe <laughs> we want to get into that. Maybe there's other uh rappers we'd like to hear their take on a worship album. You know, maybe right. maybe DMX does some some really <laughs> Quality <laughs> reworks of some old. Does, Methodist does Rick hymns. James have a gospel album? I mean, in I my would, mind, I would listen to the heck out a, of it. Yes, <laughs> if you know the answer to that question, and by that I mean if you are Pete Lawson and listening to this and know the answer to that question, please let us know. Yeah. Um. So she's that, a super saint. Very nice. <laughs> wow. Very nice. Super saint. I think that's all I can get out without us being sued. But still, okay. yeah, or something much worse happening. She's the nope. kind of saint nope. that you... Nope, don't, don't even know. No, let's not try to do that one on the fly. Um, sure, you know. She's a very holy girl, the kind you would take home to mother. There you go. Very well done. Very well done. I hope it's delivered exactly like that, but with the super freak beat behind it. Um, so, yeah, there's that. Maybe maybe uh, in his various and sundry... Uh, we know. Well, we know that the founding guitarist of Parliament now does worship that's Stuff. right. Calvin Simon, we've interviewed him on the show. Maybe yeah. there's a George Clinton. I, the, how you get the spaceship involved would, yeah, I think, a, test the bounds of doctoral sure. solidarity. But, you know, something about the rapture, Matt. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, you know. Um, so there, there's all that. But then, so we we thought maybe we talk about Kanye. Maybe we maybe we we jest sure. at the uh, the sudden turn 
to the, the Christian recording industry, something we know a little bit about. Maybe we jest about the the a minute and twenty second song, which is just him talking about Chick Fil A. Because <laughs> I, I, that I up. still, you are. I'm old and and I don't get things. Sure, you know. Uh, the the Chick Fil A thing was explained to me, and and I'm still not sure it's real. Yeah, no, it's real. Closed on Sunday is like track two on that record. Yeah, I mean, it's it is real that it exists. I'm not sure if it's real. Then I'm not sure it fills all the parameters to be a metaphor, <laughs> and that I don't know what it's really referencing or supposed to be. But it is. It is the song exists. Okay. But then the Osteen thing happened. Yeah. Uh-oh. We all are now forced to live in a world in which Joel Osteen and Kanye West shared a stage. Yeah. Yeah. And as I understand it. Um, they they listened to a track, maybe I guess they maybe they played it of a Susan, which I would just I would pay any amount of money to whoever had to explain to Joe Osteen who Kanye West is. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to be in that room. And vice versa. Yeah. Just or maybe or of course maybe there's a, a club where all the people who uh maybe they've met at some kind of private airstrip before. Sure. That kind of thing. And Kanye got on the mic, probably had some thoughts about and I don't think I'm not making this part up. I think there are this consumerism and how that's bad. Wow. Uh, okay. So if you people in the future, after we recorded this, if November 17th, 2019 was the last day that irony existed because Kanye West literally murdered it by going on stage <laughs> at Joe Osteen's church and talking about right. the pitfalls of over consumerism, then he's there's that. Involved in like a materialistic lifestyle thing. He literally runs a luxury fashion label. And he's not Married talking to a to guy. Kardashians. <laughs> and he's not talking to a guy in a giant building. Yeah. That the guy bought the giant building. Yeah. My question to the Christians is, what's it get, how much fame is enough? When right. are we going to reach a point where we say, you know what, we, we did the fame thing, now it's time for something new? Well, it didn't solve all our problems this yeah. morning, so, you know. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, one question for us as, as we sit here is, you know, we've had beef before with Osteen, and I feel like on some level, you know, this is this is an attempt to target us. Sure. Yeah, you know, everything definitely. is. Obviously. How does this affect the protagonists of the world? Us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> What's our famous guy? Like, how do we how do we fight fire with fire here? Oh, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah because uh, clearly Osteen is attacking this podcast, which I've often described as perfect. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so yeah, we have to get our famous person, yeah, to combat the their famous person, right, right. Now, we could go the route of finding someone more famous. Right. But, you know, then that's just, you know what I mean? That's what you call it, escalation, you know. Yeah. A mutually assured destruction. Right. You know, whatever. It's a fame off. It, it, that's just, let's not play that game. Right. But I, I think, could we just find someone more notorious? Oh. You see what I'm saying? Okay. Okay. So, you know, if you, if you had, like, uh, and I don't know if it's possible, can we get Putin on the phone? <laughs> <laughs> he likes phone calls. Just somebody more, not- you know, like somebody that would be like, why is this guy doing what this is? 
I, I, I have an idea because I'm loving what you're putting down. Right. I, I think I've got something. So we've talked before, and this is a real thing about kind of the, the modern media technology of holograms. Sure. And, you know, it's, it's often been used for artists who, you know, unfortunately have, have passed on, but we, you know, we want to be able to give them a live stage presence. I'm saying holographic Al Capone yes. on the podcast. Oh, my yeah, goodness. It's crime-themed, it's Chicago, and no one's more notorious than that. I like That's it horrible. a lot. Well, they've also, apparently, there's a movie coming out soon where there's like a, it's like a movie about Vietnam. Okay. And the star of it is James Dean. Really? Despite the notable handicap of having died in the 50s. They're, I think it's whatever technology they're using to create a performance. From like I, I'm assuming scans of his mm-hmm. other stuff, so they're creating a new performance, new movie. Wow, James Dean. So given that these, this maybe the kind of technology we're available to, I think Al Capone's pretty good. What about that goat that started the fire? <laughs> nice. I guess a cow. My it was apologies. Mrs. O'Leary's cow. People who are not familiar with Chicago history, there was at one point most of the city of Chicago burned flat down to the ground. And the theory was a woman had a cow, and her name was O'Leary, and the cow kicked over. Got like spooked a, and like kicked over a candle in the barn, and it was, yeah, whole, like it was basically a, yeah. It's it, no one thinks it actually happened, but yeah, it's a parable of this tiny thing happened, and the whole right. history of the city was changed and all that. Well, I I I don't know. They said it couldn't be done, but I'm going to get even more petty than we've been so far. Please say we always celebrate um, pettiness. Why didn't Osteen invite me to his church? Oh, yeah. Whoa. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm just going to be a little offended that nobody asked me to come to the uh, to the church and talk about the Chick-fil-A. Sure. Lee, got, Lee has talked more about Chick-fil-A than Kanye West. I'm guaranteeing. Yeah. I've, yeah. I've got things to say about the Chick-fil-A. Where's my invitation, Mr. Osteen? Yeah. You, uh, wow. well, maybe you when afraid you- what's going to happen when you hand somebody else the mic? When you let, when you finally release your five-part classical suite waffle fries. <laughs> well, gentlemen, I, I, Lee is taking this petty, which yeah. is right on brand for this podcast. Absolutely. And in, yeah. in a similar, totally on brand move for this podcast, I would like to go on an unhinged conspiracy theory. Oh, please. <laughs> Thank you. Because here's two things we know to be fact now. Um, one we knew before, one we know as of today. As of today, we know that Kanye West and Joe Osteen are in some level of cahoots. Right. I think we can officially clear cahoots. Right, definitely. It, this is not a semi-cahoot. Yeah. This is a full cahoot. Yeah. From the Latin cahootum <laughs> to work together <laughs> yeah. for nefarious means. We also know that Joel Osteen, at some point between now and the future, will assemble a robot cyborg army and attempt to take out this here We do know that. Podcast. That's, that's a fact. That's a f- basic science. That's a fact that I got so comfortable with, I was forced to uh, discuss it during an interview with former Christianity Today editor, because <laughs> I forgot I brought that up. So that's a fact. We've got that on the record. It's established. Yay. Here's the thing. If you're, if you're watching a sci-fi movie and someone's been replaced with a killer cyborg, right? how do you know? Because they start acting slightly out of character. Yeah. Right. Start doing things they wouldn't do. Yeah. I put forth... Kanye West is now an Osteen cyborg. Oh my goodness. This changes everything. He's not making Christian records. Started making Christian records. I think Kanye West would never do. Right. Showed up with Osteen. Secret Osteen cyborg Kanye West. Wow. (laughs) Prove me wrong. Let me me clarify because you've said something very incendiary. I don't. And let's explore it now. 
Are you saying the real Kanye West is locked in a basement somewhere? <laughs> and that we've built a Kanye bot? Yeah. Um, that's, that's what I'm now, hearing. Is this what we're like? Well, I think the real Kanye West is somewhere in a nicely appointed like apartment in Houston. Right. That's just his own records and mirrors, and he's very happy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But okay. I'm, I'm not in any way impugning that uh, Mr. Osteen hurt Kanye West in any way. Right. I'm saying he has incapacitated him and released a Chick fil A songwriting church appearing Kanye bot. Right. Wow. Well, let's get Kanye bot out there as, yeah. as a meme. That's important. Yeah. yeah. Let me just put this one out there. And yeah. if you don't like it, you know, you just send it right back. Yeah. Is it possible, and I feel this is certain, that there is, for example, a cousin of Kanye that needs some work? Okay. Oh. Cousin Ye. We find him. <laughs> cousin Ye. Cousin exactly. Ye. Easy. We're. Okay, so we're 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 in the we're in the Kanye neighborhood. Sure. With that. Okay. Kanye. There you go. I think that's probably his stage name. Okay. <laughs> we put him on the, the, the on this show. Yeah. Ah. Interviewed by one Matthew Beauregard King. Yeah. <laughs> I do declare. <laughs> and we do that. Okay, right? Yeah. But the thing is, you say talking well, about mint julep recipes. Apparently, <laughs> this, this way th- is wilting. <laughs> this way, this way, you say, "Well, that's been done." Wait a second, I'm not done. All right, you put Matt and Cousin Ye, yeah, in a cage, yeah, okay. Put an angry badger in that yes. cage, and this you do the interview. Turn. Yeah, now yeah. you you just you, everything just jumped up a notch. Yeah. Game, set, and match. Yeah, that's must-see TV. That's what that is. Yeah. So like a very roundabout way for Glenn to pay off some bet he has about that he can't be- get me in a cage with a badger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think we've landed on something actionable, yep. sane, yep. and responsible. Yeah. And as we always do, at that point, I will declare emergency off. Mm. So, again, I just I feel... Because I don't always feel the need to say this, but I do feel the need to say it right now. We didn't make the part about Kanye showing up on stage with Osteen up. Nope. That's a thing that happened. And that's a world we're all forced to live in now. And in times when things are so tumultuous like that, it's important to have some things that are just stable, that you can just rely on. They come to your inbox every month full of good, encouraging mm. things, and that can be Bridgebox. You know what? To bring it back to Aaron Neville, the touch, the feel of Bridgebox. It's the fabric of our lives. Wow. Wow. Lots yeah. of people have wow. lots of different touch, toys, touch points for Aaron Neville's career. <laughs> I was thinking I don't know much, but I know I love Bridgebox, and that may be all I need to know. <laughs> sure. Because I know Aaron Neville mostly through Young Life skits. Right. And that's how we got that. Jed went for the cotton commercials from the 90s. But every month, Bridgebox comes. There's not going to be surprises. You're not going to have to. You're never going to look at like, wait, why is that guy in Bridgebox? I didn't even know that the other guy from Run DNC did Christian stuff. Now, how did he get in there? <laughs> I'll tell you what else, Matt. If the first of the month lands on a Sunday, you're still getting your Bridgebox. Absolutely, probably Unlike true. Chick Fil A, like the Chick Fil A, <laughs> it will oddly smell of peanut oil and pickles. We haven't figured that part out with Mailchimp yet, but that's just a bonus for you. So missionusa.com slash bridgebox. Get sermons from Glenn and myself recorded live at the bridge. Get songs from Lee. 
Jed, our friends Pete and Tasha, a host of talented friends will show up there from time to time, get Bible study material, all sorts of good stuff. We're careening towards the end of the year. We're in the month of December where we are looking at humility, a big, important topic that you cannot get advice from Kanye West or Joel Osteen about. Yeah. You have to come to us. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox. Okay, we're going to move on to our first question here. If you have us all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways to get in touch with this, or you can scroll down into your episode description and click on the links there. First question comes in anonymously, and it says, Pride has caused me a lot of problems in my life, and I know I should be humble, but it sometimes feels like showing weakness to talk humbly. Like I'm lowering myself. Seems better to talk myself up so I can motivate myself to keep going. And Jed, this is the uh, the topic we spoke on at the bridge the night we talked about our bridge box topic. There, we were, so we were talking about humility, and this really is a a problem that the folks we one of the reasons we want to talk about at the bridge is it's an issue that a lot of our folks at the bridge have. And sure, we we you and Glenn kind of crafted this question so it applied to, to them. In this way, but it's also something that is has a universality, which is why sure. we wanted to deal with in a bridge box. When we look at something like the heart pride can cause and how humility can be helpful in counteracting that, where's a good place to start? Well, I think we really need to start by defining terms. Uh, humility is one of those words that it gets used quite a bit, but it's very rarely defined. And I think if you ask most people what they think of when they think of humility, I think that they have in mind having a low opinion of yourself or kind of whatever the worst case scenario would be about themselves. That's the humble thing is to think that. And that's not what that word means. Yeah, I think they often think it means not celebrating your own victories and yeah. your own abilities. Yeah, yeah. Again, that's not in any way what humility means. And it's certainly not what a biblical idea of humility is at all. The thing that all of us would suggest to you is that humility is very simply having an accurate picture of yourself, strengths That's and weaknesses, right. and choosing to accept it, uh, choosing to, to embrace that that is reality. And so I think my question for anyone, and certainly for all of our listeners, is do you have that accurate picture of yourself? Again, strengths and weaknesses both. Because I think very few people really do. I, or to put it another way, I think very few people make an intentional study of what strengths they have and what weaknesses they have. I think some people have a general kind of big picture. Well, you know, I'm I'm pretty good at cooking and, you know, I'm not great at confrontation, which is better than nothing. I mean, that's better than having just no sense of what you might be good at and what you might be bad at. But this is an area where detail helps and detail matters. And and part of the reason why it matters is a humble person is able to move forward in life on two separate fronts. So they're able to say, given that I have these strengths, A, B, C, P, D, Q, I can look at how to further them and how to build on them. I can look at how to put them to use. If you're, if you're good at cooking but you won't acknowledge that you're good at cooking, it's going to be so much harder to look at the joy you could find from growing in your culinary skills, the way you could serve other people through your culinary skills, the career you could develop by using your culinary skills. All of that is very hard to take a hold of if you won't acknowledge that you have some culinary skills to begin with. So we've got that on the one hand. 
Then on the other hand, truly humble people, they know their strengths and they know their weaknesses, are able to plot a course to work on their weaknesses. I mean, one of the amazing things about accepting that you have a weakness is that it doesn't have to be as bad as it is forever. So if you say, I, you know, I struggle with my temper, that's a real area of weakness for me. A humble person who embraces that can also begin to do something about it. They can take anger management classes. They can talk with a, a counselor or a therapist. They can uh, do some uh, uh, Bible study on you know godly responses to anger, and they can get to a place where it is less of a weakness. It's this crazy thing where facing what we're actually dealing with helps us make the good stuff even stronger and the stuff we struggle with less of a liability. It's it's kind of a superpower in in a huge way, but it's driven again first by acceptance. I'm good at cooking. I'm kind of bad at my temper. It it starts there, but then it's furthered by detail. I think for for a lot of us, we feel like it would be prideful to be in any way specific about our strengths. I mean, the 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 you know, to acknowledge that I'm generally good at cooking, that's that's the the most anyone could hope for. We don't want to be more than that. When no, more detail is more good. And we feel embarrassed about our weaknesses, so we definitely don't want more detail on that. When in fact the way forward is, okay, you struggle with your temper, why? What in what ways do you struggle with your temper? What what sets you off? Why does it set you off? What are the variables that surround that? So we're tempted both by by shame and by trying to avoid um, a false idea of pride. We're, we're tempted to avoid the detail when in fact a humble person is aware not just of the big picture but the details as well so that they can do something about them. I mean, it's absolutely right. That is, that is the place to start. You have to be able to look at those things kind of unflinchingly. And we, we talk a lot, I'm sure we'll come up again and again in this conversation of the, there's the spectrum we kind of feel of, you know, pride is being too, feeling too good about yourself and being humble is being as hard on yourself as you can. And that's really not what we're talking about. Humility is that thing that lies in the middle. We talk about a lot is having that accurate picture the way Jed gave you that. And Leah, I'd love you to pick us up right there. So when we're, maybe we're struggling with this thing swinging too far one way or the other, what are some, some ways we can get on track? We can gauge if we're having a healthy dose of humility in the way we're looking at ourselves. Yeah, it's a really good question. I I completely and totally echo everything that Jed said about defining humility for us, which unfortunately for a lot of people is a lightning bolt of brand new news. They haven't heard this from the pulpit. They haven't heard this in their small group. They haven't heard this uh, in their friend group and stuff like that because we just have the wrong idea of what humility is. Um, it's just a word that's used in funky ways. And, uh, and, and so having that rock-solid definition really, really helps us. Another thing that I think helps us uh, kind of understand the way that we want to present ourselves is to simply put the shoe on the other foot. And what I mean by that is, you know, you're talking about like, I need to build myself up. I don't want to appear weak and all this kind of stuff. And, and, uh, you know, if I've, I've got these goals and everything, but if you put your shoe on the other, if you put this shoe on the other foot, you know, that when you're in a conversation with someone who is just constantly talking themselves up, you know how uncomfortable that is and how much you kind of, you have this like, um, triple emotion of like. Um, one part, like equal parts of like, one, I do not want to be in this conversation. This is so uncomfortable and cringy. Two, um, I really wish this person saw themselves as they actually are. And three, I really, really just 
wonder what it would be like if they would ask someone, what do you think about me? I mean, it's you just feel all these things at the same moment and you're like, I don't want to be talking to you. When someone's building themselves up constantly and you know that, that you're like, we all know you're not this person. You know, when you're in a conversation with somebody who's kind of name dropping and, uh, or you're in a conversation with someone who is kind of the focus and the hero of every story that they tell, like every story they tell somehow comes back to them in some way about how they were somehow amazing. Um, that's a person that you don't want to, you just like, I don't want to be talking to you, man. I'd rather be talking to anybody else at this place than you. And yet now consider having a conversation with someone who like asks you questions about yourself, who makes you the point, um, who is obviously comfortable in who they are, but they're not showy. A person who, you know, is comfortable admitting when they're wrong, a person who easily asks for help and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, in a way, they kind of take themselves lightly. And there's a dignity to that. There's a dignity, a refreshing dignity to that second kind of person. And it's, I mean, it's definitely the person that we all want to hang out with. And it's what Jed is describing. It's someone who gets the truth of who they are. Like, I have weaknesses. I have strengths. Um, I want to grow my weaknesses. And if I'm going to do that, I'm going to have to admit where I've been wrong or weird or out of bounds or, or just, I just don't know things. And I'm, and I have a curiosity and I have the humility to ask for wisdom and help and all that kind of stuff. And then in the places where I have experience and strength, then I'm, I'm glad to help out when somebody wants help or whatever. I'm not going to insert myself into a conversation where I haven't been asked for help. Um, But there's, there's just a, a refreshing dignity to a person like that, who's obviously comfortable, but they're not showy. Um, when you, you know, in this thought experiment, when you put the shoe on the other foot, you know who you want to hang out with at this party. It's not the person name dropping. It's not the person who makes themselves the point of every story. It's the person who asks you about yourself. It's the person who, uh, admits freely when they've been wrong. It's the person who asks for help when they don't know. Um, it's the person who's endlessly curious, not the person who always acts like they know everything. This is the person that we want to be around. Um, I understand the feeling of like, I need to put myself out there as somebody that displays their strengths all the time. But when you consider who you want to hang out with at a party, um, when we look at these strong left and right limits, um, then you start to realize like, oh, actually, it's a lot less cringy and a lot less uh, and a lot more attractive to be that humble person, not to be that, that person that's putting up that front. And so I think a thought experiment like that can kind of show us like, actually, yeah, it seems tempting to want to be like this, but, but actually I'd rather hang out with the other person, the person that Jed is describing, the person who has a correct and accurate picture of who they are comfortable in who they are, but ready to admit when they're wrong and curious and always ready to ask for help, advice, and all those kinds of things. This is an attractive quality. That's who we actually want to be around. It absolutely is. And Glenn, I'd love to get to close this out here by looking at the, the, the pride element of this, because yeah. I think we don't want to skip over that. It's We can see how, particularly if you're someone who has, like a lot of folks who are at the bridge, who has had your self-esteem trampled on in yeah. every conceivable way, it can seem like the the worst possible idea to think, you have to not talk yourself up and puff yourself up because if I've not really had any success in life and had a lot of problems and I felt bad about myself the whole time, it's we can I think we can totally empathize with why it's such a 
an attractive idea to think the first thing to actually getting to feel good about myself is pretending I feel good about myself. Yeah. Cause then I get, you know, I, I get, I get some feeling good about myself in the way we get there. Yeah. But the problem is that pride never really works that way in practice. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the ways that pride actually works versus how humility actually works? And so I think humility is going to, going to get us a lot closer to that thing we want. Right. Well, for sure. I I think the big problem with pride is it doesn't let us enjoy life. Mm. You know, pride just doesn't let you be happy about things at all. If you have an attitude of, and and when I when I say pride, I mean I think to a certain extent, many of us carry an idea inside of us of what I should expect out of life. Um, you know, I got an A in this class, so I'm applying for a job and you're welcome. I'm <laughs> here, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, this, this overinflated sense of, uh, whatever you could call that entitlement. You could, you know, put a lot of fancy words to it, but just having that sense, a, a larger than accurate view of your own self you end up constantly being disappointed because nothing is up to your standards that you have for things. That's a terrible way to go through life. If you have an accurate view of your strengths and weaknesses, as Jed was describing, you can take a look at the way people treat you, for example, and have a sense of whether this is a good person who has their eyes open on the people around them and who get you and understand you. Uh, you can understand, you can work out, is this person sort of infatuated with me and isn't looking at my weaknesses? Is this a person who is uh, got some weird hang-up of, of their own and seeing weaknesses that I don't have and so on and so forth? Uh, is, is this person jealous of the strengths that I have? So they're acting all weird around me and stuff. So I, I think th- the idea of, of humility is allowing us to enjoy life and allowing us to understand uh, what healthy relationships look like. And I, th- I don't think we talk about that much with pride and humility. Uh, as Jed pointed out, uh, with with low self-esteem, I'm not looking at my strengths and not understanding them and valuing them. Uh, with pride, I'm not looking at my weaknesses. That's kind of what pride is, is you're just not looking at your areas of weakness. But here's what happens when you don't look at your areas of weakness. You end up getting uh, took down off of the pedestal. You put yourself, your pride, you put yourself up on the pedestal, but you ignore it. You do that by ignoring your weaknesses. When you ignore your weaknesses, your weaknesses are growing and building and escalating. They come for you. (laughs) Hello. And they drag you down off of this pedestal that you're on, and you have this terrible low self-esteem moment when you fall off that pedestal. But it was was pride that got you up there, (laughs) and it was the ignoring of the weaknesses that pulled you back down. So... What I'm saying is we will often take our low self-esteem and use pride to sort of overcompensate for our low self-esteem. But pride's the thing that got us the low self-esteem in the first place with that. So we, you know, we, this, we can't, we're talking about swinging back and forth between two excesses. And as Jed started us off with, humility's in between those two extremes. 
I think it's really important. We'll we'll nail this down as we're walking away. I think it's really important to let God have the final say. It's if I took all of the things that everyone has ever said about me, and you put it all in one big pile, you do like what they call it, tag clouds or whatever those things are. I know all the lingo. Absolutely. You put all everything all in one big glob and sort it into whatever, and, and, and just say, boil it down. Who am I based on all of this? Here's what you would get random nothingness. Yeah. It would not be anything. It just really wouldn't. I mean, it would be random. There, there are people who know me and know me very well. They give me very accurate feedback on me. Obviously, when I go to the Lord in prayer, I get hyper-accurate feedback on me. But there's a whole host of other people in my life who don't know me and couldn't give accurate feedback and definitely don't yeah. <laughs> and tell me all kinds of weird stuff. So I can't make my view of myself the sum total of what everyone says. Amen. About That's absolutely right. That and it is again, we can we could see how that is a thing that would seem appealing. That idea, and it, but it leads to some bad ways. We we're, we're, when we talk about this, the bridge we we're talking about that idea of, and again, we're not making fun because it's a, it's a thought we've all had of, you know, how I know I've really done it well when I get that person who always hated me to think well of me. That seems like a good and healthy goal that won't totally destroy my psyche from the inside out and lead to me ignoring all the people who are trying to be nice to me, as Glenn is talking about there. So that the coming things from pride really is. A harmful thing, and we want to point out that so is coming from things from a, a totally low self-esteem point. That's that actually does a lot of the same things that Glenn's talking about there. That when you start off with just that kind of "I know it's I'm bad," but I'm that's that's not <laughs> humility either. If you, nobody doesn't have any strengths, nobody doesn't have any potential. So if you find yourself swinging too far to that extreme, it's time to center yourself back on that humility. All right, we move on to our next question here. It comes in anonymously, and it says. I'm doing my best to make changes and I feel like it's going okay, but I feel like some people are looking down on me. How do I deal with that feeling? And Lee, I'd love you to get your kicks off here. Glad to do it. Um, now I, I, I've got three big thoughts on this and, um, and I want to start out by saying that I am not a Luddite. Okay. I'm not against the advancement of technological things. I saw you destroying those looms. <laughs> little luddite humor for the people a uh, little little the vocabulary moment for everybody but um i i will say this um oh, the things that i have the the thing my thoughts on this thing have to do with a a christian skill that almost never gets talked about by pastors almost never gets talked about in our churches which is discernment um i, I think that a lot of what you're dealing with has to do with, uh, or, or how you're going to get free from what you're experiencing has to do with discernment. Again, I'm not against technological advancements. I think, you know, the things that we're experiencing are really cool, have a lot of cool opportunities, but I do think that we need to, to, uh, activate some intentional triage over the input that's coming into our lives. Here's what I mean by that. If you are doing your thing, you're following the Lord, you're figuring out who you are, all that kind of stuff, exactly as your question is saying, and, they're, and, and you're worried about what people are saying about it. Um, 
a lot of what may be happening is that you are hyper-influenced by what you're seeing on your social media feed. Um, A lot of the young people that I know are extremely active in feeds from several social media outputs all day long, every single day. So that's Instagram, it's TikTok, it's Snapchat, it's whatever, whatever. Um, whatever the newest thing is that I don't even know about because I'm such a Luddite who's destroying looms, as Matt uh, declared to all the people. But what I'm saying is you are experiencing a lot of everybody's, one, opinions, two, complete lies. Um, And that's an important thing to realize, that what people post on uh, on certain social media feeds are just ab absolute falsehoods um they are editing down their life um they are doing it in such a way to make people jealous they are doing it in such a way to make themselves look good and what happens is without even thinking about it you wind up comparing yourself to other people and all that kind of stuff and so all of a sudden you start to paint a narrative about what other people's opinions are about you it may be that you've got some haters in your life and that you need to block them um, and part of that might be to to take a serious look at how does does my social media feed affect my mood? Um, and that's not me saying I'm against smartphones and against technology and all that kind of stuff. I'm not. If your social media activity brings you joy and it doesn't bring you jealousy, comparison, and you know, and sadness and the fear of missing out and all those kinds of other things. Great, that's amazing. If it is giving you those negative impacts, um, then it may be, uh, you may need to ask yourself the question, would I be willing to kind of take a break from some of this stuff for a little while? Or can I pare down who I'm following? Um, Can I block certain people or unfollow them because it's just affecting me in a certain way? I think that what happens for a lot of young people is, we get caught up in the tide. Um, and, and this is why I'm talking about discernment, which is taking an active role in what are you taking in? I, I want, I don't want to get caught up in a tide where I'm just getting everything from everybody all the time. That's everybody's opinions. That's everybody's lies that they're posting or their mediated self or whatever, whatever. I don't want to just be swept up into the tide. I want to take an intentional role in what I'm experiencing. That's a healthy part of discernment. Another thing is you need to look at your circle of friends. This is not social media. This is the people that you interact with face-to-face. In your group of friends, who are the people who make you feel encouraged? Who are the people that have your back? Who are the people that see what's good in you, what is what is healthy in you, what has potential in you, and they encourage you toward the Lord and all that kind of stuff. Who are those people versus the people that always make you feel less than, always make you feel in trouble, always make you feel, you know, all all these kinds of negative things. It's time to invest well into the people that encourage you, the people that draw you toward the Lord, that make the people that make you feel, um, good about the healthy things in your life. The last thing, which is another issue of discernment, is it's time to catalog encouragement that you get from the Lord and Scripture. 
um, to find the places in scripture that tell you who you are from the vantage point of Jesus. How does he see you? How does he feel about you? What does he think about you? I was talking to somebody recently who was telling me that they they realized, because we started singing one of Jed's worship songs um, at our church, and they realized that this song was on Spotify, and they started listening to it just because it completely rocks their world. And the thing about it was, was that they just needed somebody to say to them that they were the one that Jesus came for, the one that Jesus loves. You need to find those Bible verses and catalog them and go back to them and let the Lord encourage you. Um, because ultimately what we need to do is we need to move away from the, just the, the, just the random, unthoughtful and often really polluted kind of talk that people spew at us about us that has nothing to do with who we are. We need to do the triage of combing through what, where do I need to invest? What do I need to care about? What do I need to listen to? What do I need to pay attention to? There's a really cool place in Psalm 56 where David is talking about how there are people in his life who misunderstand and twist his words and make him feel like he's the scum of the earth. And his, his counter to that, what he decides to do is, he said, I'm going to entrust myself to the words of God. That's what I'm going to do, to God, whose word I praise. And, what, and he just kind of envelops himself in this idea of like, I'm just going to throw myself on the words of God about me. And he gets so hype at a certain point in this idea that he like the the final thought in this song is what can mortal man do to me and that's where you want to be you want to be to the place where what anybody says about you is whatever whatever they can't touch you because you know who you are you know who god has made you to be you know what god says about you and you're investing in the relationships of people who draw you closer to that opinion and you're not spending any time or energy on this mess of this incessant flood of just random opinions, falsehoods, and all kinds of, you know, jealousy, gossip, and the rest of it, you are coming through all that intentionally because you want to get to the truth of who God says you are. That's absolutely right. That is all fantastic stuff. And Glenn, love to get you to, to pick us up here. Lee was saying he's absolutely right. A lot of that, some of it's going to come down to picking which voices you, you listen to, to prioritizing things, and the the uncomfortable truth, and to some of our, some people it's going to come as a shock, I know it did me at some point, is uh, you have to do that because no one, there's not going to come a point where everyone's going to agree that you're great. Right. And I know that's a harsh truth, and if some of you need to sit down, and I, I know <laughs> I know when that hit me roughly four or five months ago, that was a harsh, a harsh reality that I'm never actually yeah. going to hit that point where everyone just says, we took a vote. And all 7 billion of us agreed, you've arrived, so you can relax now. Yeah. But, and we, we said it as a joke, but there's a little bit of chasing that kind of, the most critical voice must have a point. I right. think a lot of us are conditioned to think that way of just, you know, that kind of idea of relentless self-improvement means that whoever has the harshest opinion about me is the one I should be listening to because then I will make the best, most changes. And that's the way it works, you know, in the movie with the coach who's hard on him or whatever. But when it comes to uh, taking that base assumption that 
you're not going to get universal agreement. Where do we go from there? Where do we go as far as who we listen to, how we apply things like good criticism? That's not people looking down on us. Where, where does that leave us? Well, I think it, it really starts with looking at when people look down on me, why do they look down on me? That's, I think that's, if you're going to fixate on the negative, I agree with you. We have to grab some acceptance that nobody is 100% accepted in the world. Uh, our Lord and Savior didn't do uh, very well. Pretty low Q rating. Yes. Um, so we we have to we have to embrace that reality. Um, you know, uh, part of what we have in the question here is I I I feel like some people are looking down at me, even though I'm trying to make changes. My question is, were those people looking down on you before? <laughs> yeah. Because we've learned something. If 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 you're doing bad and they look down on you, and then you do better and they're looking down on you, and you suspect that they'll still be looking down on you when you're doing really good, then we should have learned their looking down on you has nothing to do with you. Yep. It has something to do with them. And... Being able to discern those kind of things is really important. Uh, this is just a basic fact of life, and it's a fundamental thing uh, that people will use a, a withholding of validation, a withholding of acceptance as a tool to manipulate you. Wow, yep, say that. That's just basic. It, it, there are some people in your life, there are definitely people in my life that I am related to, whose main mission is for me to understand from them, I do not accept you. Uh, I have relatives, their favorite thing is, you are not a Christian. That's the opening gambit. You think <laughs> you're a Christian. But, you know. It, you know, it takes me a minute to sit there and think, I help poor people for a living. <laughs> how are you going to convince me that I'm not a charitable person? You know, how is this, how is your, this your opening argument that, you know, what have you? But that's a manipulation move. That's a, a. In other words, they're saying, "I don't accept you now, but if you jump through this hoop that I'm giving you, ah. then maybe you would be a real Christian to me, and that'd be like a witness or something or whatever you want it to be. But you end up jumping through that hoop, and then you find that there's another hoop waiting for what? you. What? And at some point, it's about recognizing. You're purposely withholding that acceptance, and that that's a that has nothing to do with whether I'm acceptable or not. B, you can't and won't give me acceptance because that'd be the end of the manipulation. Yep. Mm. So there is no there is no acceptance coming from that quarter, and part of this is arriving at that place of acceptance and. Uh, 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 you know, in other words, accepting that they are not going to change that opinion of you, uh, living with that becomes really important, and that's a—it's a heartbreaking thing to do. It's a difficult thing to do. It's not something anyone is perfectly good at. But there comes a moment where you dust your shoulders off and just let it roll off you and say, "This person's not well in their mind." It it is a really sick thing, sick. I mean, sick in their head, kind of sick thing, 
to say, I'm going to make this person feel like crap so I can get something out of them. (laughs) That's bad, dude. That's not... Now, again, I'm using sick specifically because I'm trying to say that that that's not someone in their right mind would do. That's not something that you would even think of doing if you were a healthy person. So I'm asking for understanding of that other person as well, that, that's putting the manipulation down. Uh, also, here's another thing. It's really important for you to find the people in your life that celebrate your victories. Yeah. They're really yeah. important. Get those, figure out who those people are and get them real close and get and spend more time with them than you are now. Yep. Uh, give them more of a voice into your life than, than you maybe are now. Now, here's the problem that you may be thinking that if you sit down and write down a list of all the people who celebrate your victories with you, that for you might be a really small list. It is for everyone. Yep. Mm. It's, it's a crazy thing. But it is a small list for everyone. To give, give you a, 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 an example or, or sort of illustration of what I'm talking about here, I, I think we mentioned on the last show that that uh, you know part of my hobby is working on musical instruments. If, if you listen to the music that plays at, at the end of this show, probably I don't know what the percentage would be, but a certain percentage of those uh, of that music features instruments that I've literally had my hands in you know that would be most of it okay and this is my joy i you know end of a long ministry day uh put on you know a a a bible on tape thing or or a podcast or something and i'm sanding wood and that's just how i unwind at the end of the day and and relax and give the day up to the lord and it's it's a joy for me and then something Mm. good comes out of that okay but i often will have an amazing breakthrough in uh, a new sanding technique. It's a sanding breakthrough. I I literally will text Jed with new sanding developments. That's true. That's <laughs> not a joke. Sanding revolution. And I always preface the, those texts with this phrase: "There's no one else I could tell who would care." <laughs> right. Now, here's the thing: Jed doesn't really care a lot he's just the closest to a person who would care i'm a reasonable approximation that's right but here's the thing is you know because jed knows instruments and he knows some of the basics so he can appreciate it to a certain extent what i'm trying to say is there's only so many people who know how monumental your victories are because they only understand so much of the details of ins and outs of your life there's some people who don't know a lot about those victories, but they know a lot about you, and they, you know, they're and they invest, and they they learn a lot about what's going on based on that, and so they can appreciate it. There's only so many people who understand your victories and are close enough to you to get the, those victories in order to celebrate. It's always a small circle of people who celebrate those victories, but that's that's not. Uh, saying that it's bad it's it's recognizing i don't need a ton of people in in that i've I've got my inner circle and that's enough for me i think that's absolutely right and jed that that idea of finding those people who are going to cheer you on and if that is a very very small list uh, even smaller than normal uh you got to go cultivate those people that maybe a good church good support group a good you know celebrate recovery meeting whatever you're trying to work on the person mentioned in the question i'm trying to make changes 
other people who are trying to make those changes a great place to start. So once we've identified that, what is getting the most out of those positive relationships look like? That's a great question. Well, I think one of the things that you can, in a sense, you can teach yourself. And, and here's how we're going to do that. You're going to figure out how to be a supportive person. You're going to flip this around. And it's important for two reasons. The first is, so there's everything that you've heard both Lee and Glenn describe where there's people who are bullies. There are people who are unwell and are manipulative and are, are trying to do fairly nasty things to others in their lives. And then there's a huge swath of people that are just really bad at being supportive. That's most people yeah, who are just act. They're not judging you. They're just actively bad at being supportive. <laughs> Exhibit a, the young man who came up to Jed after the bridge where Jed leads worship has written the worship music. We, we sing there. The people love it. It goes to your response. Came up to Jed and said, I enjoy worship music. <laughs> and then walked off. Yeah. It wasn't that he was, we've gone over that literally hundreds of times in the ensuing years. And best we can tell, it's not that he was trying to wound Jed. That's just the closest to saying a positive thing about someone else he could get. Yep. That was it. Well, if you, if you want to kind of test this theory in your, in your own life, there, there's two ways that you can go. The first is you can start a band. Just start a band, you and your buddies, book a show and see who shows up. I think you'll find that a very illuminating experience. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Some of us have done that. Here, here's the alternate one if, you, if music's not really your thing. Create some kind of handcrafted good that people could give as a gift at the holidays. Pour your own candles. Make your own greeting cards. Maybe you're going to you know, uh, knit scarves. Because you think to yourself, well, I mean... Basically, at least in American culture, everybody's got to give gifts and we're all looking for stuff that's not terribly expensive. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to hand make these little, you know, $5 greeting cards and it's neat. And you can you know, support a friend at the same time. You got to give credit card, you know, greeting cards anyway. So it all work out. Then observe how many people actually buy the greeting cards that you made. What you will discover is that people are awful at being supportive. I mean, really, really <laughs> super bad. It will not be a fun discovery. But so what we can do, though, is given that you can learn how to be supportive. So you can begin looking for opportunities to be an encourager in the lives of other people. That includes things like going to your buddy's show when he has a band. That includes things like buying your other buddies handmade Christmas greeting cards and giving those out. That includes being excited when yet another buddy says, I had a sanding breakthrough that I want to tell you about. Yeah. You will not start out being great at this because no one starts out being great at this. But you can decide to become good at celebrating other people's victories. Say that, dude. Come on. You, you can decide to become good at cheering other people on and at being a support and an encouragement to other people. And the more that you grow to understand how to do that yourself, A, you're going to be just spreading a lot of good in the world and you're going to feel a heck of a lot better. What One of the, the secrets a lot of people don't know is it, when you start encouraging and supporting others, you get a lot of joy out of it your own self. That, mm. that really is a gift that keeps on giving. But you're going to have a much better idea of what you're looking for in terms of finding people that can cheer you on and that can support you. You, you have a much better idea of what that would look like and therefore um, 
what you need and what you deserve. Uh, Christians get a little uh, uncomfortable with the word deserve, but you deserve people who are cheering you on. You deserve people who are celebrating your victories. You really do. God wants that for you, therefore you deserve it. And so the, the better that you get at doing it, the better you will get at finding it. The more you will know what it looks like and how to locate it. But again, the beautiful thing about this is it's a can't lose journey. Uh, because the other people in your life desperately need someone to cheer them on and encourage them. (laughs) You will get better as you do it. No one else is going to compete with you on this. You will enjoy doing it. It will mean a ton to them and it will uh, show you what you're looking for in your own life. And maybe most importantly, it will take your mind off of the idea that people are judging you. It will simply get your head in a different space, which is worth its weight in gold, even if that was the only thing it did for you. Absolutely right. That is all fantastic stuff from all three of these guys. We're going to move on to our final question. It came in anonymously, and it says, I'm trying to make changes in my life so I don't have to make the same mistakes again. I've tried turning over a new leaf before and always end up repeating the same patterns. Where do I start? And Glenn, where would we kick this off? Well, I think it starts with recognizing most of us live our lives repeating patterns. Yeah. That's the norm. Uh, we, I think we tend to get, to create this illusion about ourselves that every moment is a waking, conscious decision, choosing a certain direction of our life and whatever. It's amazing when you really, really, really get down to it, how much of your life is on rails yeah. and how much of it is based on the way that you think. And it just sort of manifests itself in patterns that repeat over and over again. Give me an example. Everything that we do on the podcast, all of the sermons that we record, I listen back to those and and really go through it with a fine-tooth comb, looking for stuff that I can learn and, and stuff that I can improve. And what's funny is I'm looking at that with a critical eye, not necessarily a negative eye, but an eye of how do I improve it. And it is crazy, but probably at least once I will hear myself say something, you know, and it's it's a nice setup to a good point. But I will think in my mind, oh, you know what I should have said? I should have said X. And then 95% of the time, I do say it on the recording, and I have forgotten since that I've said it, obviously. <laughs> but it's it, what I'm saying is that stuff is what I said on that day was just what's in my mind. I opened my mouth and my, ma- my mind came out, and that's it. So that later, if you gave me the same setup, not remembering what I said, I would just repeat the exact same thing. It's a f- what I'm saying uh, when I'm on the mic is just a function of my heart and my 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 take on life and all that kind of stuff. It's the same thing for the relationships that you have. Same thing for the way that you do work and the way you do school, the way you do church, the way you do prayer. These are all a function of those things. So we have to change the way that we see ourselves. We have to change the the, the inside of us in order for these repeating patterns to be more and more positive. That has to do with learning from mistakes. And when I say mistakes, I mean backsliding off of things that you want to change and so forth. If I make a mistake and I learn by that, I, that is growth. That is forward progress. If, you, if your definition of forward progress is mistake-free or you know whatever it is that, to, to have 
fewer and fewer mistakes or whatever those things are, you're you're going to constantly disappoint yourself and you'll, you'll constantly miss success that you have. And the thing is, if you don't understand your successes when you do have them, it makes it hard to repeat those successes. I want to know when something goes wrong, what did I do right that allowed me to go as far as I did? And then what, what did I do wrong that, that caused me to fall off? In other words, if I think of myself as constantly repeating a pattern and I didn't repeat it for, you know, if, I, if, if I'd made a change for two months in a row, let's say, I want to look at myself and say, I did something different that was uh-huh. good, that worked. Yeah. Let me figure out whatever worked and nail that in. Then I want to look at, okay, what didn't work? In, in the final analysis, something began to break down here. What was that thing? If I can learn from that, I can improve. But just the examination and the learning is forward progress. If I'm learning at each stage, I'm improving down the line. Yeah. Success is guaranteed, but you know, uh, uh, going uh, you know forward into the future. Final point. Um, it, 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 you've heard that verse probably in every wedding that the the First Corinthians thirteen love is patient, love is kind, and so on and so forth. But I think I want to apply that love to you. Mm. You know, you loving yourself, mm. and starting with love is patient. The the Greek word for that I wrote it down because I don't know how to pronounce Greek, but it turns out nobody knows how to pronounce ancient Greek, so <laughs> you can't you can't call me on that. Uh, uh, macrothymeo. Yeah, that's a, that's close enough. Uh, but the definition of that word it's sometimes also translated as long suffering, which is another word that we don't use very often in English. Uh, but this word for that we we sometimes translate into love is patient. Sometimes we say love is long suffering. But the definition of it is refusing to retaliate with anger because of human reasoning. So you use human reasoning instead of retaliating with anger. I think that's an awesome word. That's something I I that definition of patient I, I don't I don't use very often. But when I do something wrong, I get angry at myself and I yeah. get emotional about it. Right. I'm not using human reasoning. I'm not using logic. I'm not using analysis. I'm not using deeper wisdom to learn from that. I'm using my emotions. And that's when we talk about the biblical idea of patience, it's moving away from those emotions towards that reasoning. And that's what we hope you can do in this situation. Absolutely right. And Leah, I'd love to get you to pick us up there because I think what exactly what a big part of what Glenn's talking about here is things are going to sap any momentum we're making. The person in the question says, you know, I'm putting in the effort. I'm trying to do these big things. What we need to do is maybe do some things that are going to build that momentum. And how do we do that? Yeah, I, I think that the, the way that we normally try to go after this kind of change is, and, and I'm 100% on everything that, that Glenn said there. I love the idea of, of looking at yourself as, as an object of the love of God. And uh, looking at yourself as an object of of patience, someone who deserves to be treated with patience. I think that is so, so cool. I think that one thing that happens is we set up for ourselves a a goal of, I'm never doing that thing again. I'm growing past that, and it starts now. And when we make that resolution, 
it's at a time where we're clear-headed and we're energized and we feel good and happy and strong. Um, the problem with that is, is that that's, that all comes from a place of our feelings. Um, when we feel good and happy and energized, we feel like we could take on any temptation the world would throw at us. Um, n- nothing, nothing would work. Um, and the problem is, is that we've all experienced that moment, that moment of like, I feel amazing. I will never do that thing again. I have already decided this is my course. I'm setting it. I'm, I'm heading out in this direction. And then before you know it, you fall back off and you backslide again in that same way. And, um, and the problem is, is that we haven't recognized the, the fact that sometimes we feel happy and healthy and full and energized, and sometimes we feel low and we feel empty and we feel um, just gassed and we don't have those resources. And so we haven't solved any problems by saying, I have resolved that I'm never going to do that thing again. That, res- that type of resolution when you feel energized and strong is not the kind of thing that creates long-term change. The reason is because the, the activity or the behavior, the thing that we want to change in us, is something that works kind of like a medicine. We have, every single person, uh, me, the rest of the guys on the podcast, you, everybody you know, we have situations that we find ourselves in or we create or we just fall into that are uncomfortable, that are painful, that are difficult. And in moments of discomfort, pain, and difficulty, we want to immediately feel better about wherever we are or, or about ourselves. And there are certain things that we can do that make us feel better immediately. Now, they're not real medicine. They can't actually heal us. They can't actually change the situation. But for a moment, they make us feel better. And so in that moment, we get triggered when we feel discomfort, when we feel pain, when we feel um, unsure, when we feel insecure, all these kinds of things where we feel like, I don't know what to do right now, but... I know how I could feel better immediately. Now, this is not a medicine that actually makes us feel, that actually heals our problem, but we do feel better for a second. So whatever that behavior is, and for you ask 100 people, you might get 100 different answers. And the key is not to make resolutions when we feel amazing. The key is to enter into that moment where you feel low, discouraged, and tempted. What happened to get me there? How did I arrive at this moment? And when I'm in this moment, is there anybody that I can call to help me out? Is there any other decision that I could make that may not make me feel amazing immediately, but will even maybe distract me or maybe give me some tools to climb out of this situation? Recognizing how we get there and and seeking practical wisdom from the Lord and from people that just good friends who care about me, this is the way that we start to dig our way out. Um, the problem is that most of us, what we want to do is, when I feel strong, when I feel good, is just say, that's it. I'm planting my flag right here. I'm never doing this thing again. But that's not really going to help us because we all hit those moments where we feel discouraged, where we feel fatigued, where we feel no energy for that resolution we made when we felt good. 
And what we need is practical wisdom to find out why did I get into this moment? What is it that I need to do right now? And how and who can help me in this moment right here? That involves recognizing triggers. That involves practical wisdom for the moments when I'm weak. That's not as sexy as the idea of making a big resolution and then changing your life from one moment and then having an amazing story to tell. That's not really the way change works. Change works slowly, and it works honestly, and it works humbly, and it works when we dive into, lean into weak moments rather than uh, putting all of our emotion into the strong moments. That's absolutely right. That's all fantastic stuff. Jed, love to get you to, to close us out. Um, so a friend in the question says, and I think we can all relate to this. I'm, I'm trying to make big changes. Yeah. Put in that effort. We talk about the show a lot that you have, you have limited, uh, energy, both physical and emotional to make changes. And I wonder if when we gear up in this way, Lee's talking about to do the big thing, to, to move it, if we, don't necessarily spend those resources in the same way. Yeah. In this in the in the right way, in the sense of there's this big push, but there may be a lot of little things you didn't put the change into that are gonna kill your momentum. Yeah. So how do we go about uh, distributing those resources in a the most helpful way? It's a great question. So folks who are in addiction recovery, and to be clear, uh, not every change that's hard to make is an addiction, but there's still some right. lessons to be learned from addiction recovery. Folks in addiction recovery talk about the idea of changing your people, places, and things. And so what that means is, let's say that uh, you have been dealing with alcoholism in your life. It's not just that you drink or that you drink more than you want to. I mean, that is going on. But there are people that you drink with. You have drinking buddies. And there are places that you go to drink. And there are things that you do at the places you go to drink that go along with the drinking. And so, although I guess in theory, um, you could go with your drinking buddies to the bar and you could have a nice glass of milk. In theory, I guess that's (laughs) technically possible. That's probably not going to work. Uh, the, the collected wisdom of addiction recovery says that's really not going to happen. Uh, to the contrary, what folks in addiction recovery tell you is you need to make some new friends who are not your drinking buddies. That's right. And you need, you need to go to new places that are not the places you went and did drinking. Um, and, and you need new ways to spend your time. You know I mean? Um, there, few things are more powerful to leaving behind something negative as adding in something positive. Uh, you know, what we're describing here in a sense could feel kind of overwhelming because it, it kind of sounds like I'm describing making a whole new life, right? If you're changing the people you hang out with and the places you go and the things you do, well, you're just, you're just changing your life entirely then, aren't you? And on one level, yeah, that's that's exactly it. That And that's kind of how you make a big change. But all of that, to the point that Matt was making just a moment ago, all of that can be broken down into stuff that you can do one piece at a time and that you can deal with one day at a time. You might have heard that phrase before. And that, that you know, in some cases, you can deal with five minutes at a time. And to really link it to both what Lee was saying and what Glenn was saying, if we say 
the ultimate big picture for me in terms of really, really moving forward in a big way is, is changing my people and my places and my things. I'm not going to cling to any of those. And I, and I want to be on the lookout for areas where I am, areas where I'm trying to hold on to the old people and the old places and the old things. I want to be very sensitive to that. But I'm also going to recognize I probably can't successfully change all of that in one felled swoop in one go. Um, I, you know, I had a big backslide today, probably like tomorrow night, I won't have changed all of my people and places and things in the next 24 hours. Therefore, I need to be patient and kind and understanding with myself as I work on changing my people, my places and my things. Perhaps the most important thing that, that links together all of this is having a concrete followable strategy for how we're going to implement changing people, places, and things, how we're going to implement avoiding triggers, how we're going to implement understanding what's been driving this behavior, whatever it is. When people talk about, you know, I tried super hard and for a while, like I was doing good and then I fell off. I would say certainly eight times out of 10, but probably more like nine they were going on pure enthusiasm and willpower with almost no strategy or structure in place, and then they got tired. And the the thing about that is no criticism. I think it's a testament to how badly you want to change that you could get anywhere yeah. on willpower. Like that's a, that's amazing. I mean, if you like, we we work with people in actual addiction recovery. If you are addicted to alcohol and you can go like a week without drinking, just purely on the strength of your willpower and your desire for change, you're you're almost superhuman. That's incredible. <laughs> that's amazing. There was never a chance it would last longer than that. That that doesn't mean you screwed up. That's it's amazing. It lasted six and a half days. Oh my gosh, dude, that's incredible. But for any Anybody, what the only thing that really leads to lasting change is strategy. The thing that you can follow, that you can plug into day in and day out. If you were to marry a huge amount of motivation with sound strategy, well, the sky's the limit. That's, That's really the thing. I think maybe the thing that we might want to leave you with is the specific change you're trying to make, we need to have that in mind in order to know what strategy would work for that. The, the strategy for dealing with alcoholism is going to be a little bit different from the strategy for dealing with an anger management problem. Uh, there may be similarities, and particularly in a big picture sense, there, there are similarities, but the concrete five minutes at a time living those two out are a little bit different. And so at that point, the specifics of your struggle matter and finding someone who has some expertise in that struggle who knows, who maybe has dealt with it in their own life and or knows how to help other people deal with it, that's really critical. But if you take all the stuff that you've heard from from all four of us and you, you find someone who can help you form a concrete, followable strategy that's oriented towards your particular problem, man, the sky's the limit. You wouldn't believe how much change you could see. We're excited for you, to, to, for that change to become manifest. We're cheering you on, and we've got your back. We absolutely do. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. We are in the month of December, and that means 
It's Christmas music time, which we kick this off with the Pool House Gurus version of Ooh. Angels We Have Heard on High. Take out that. Right. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. To say that podcast, we'll put a cousin in a badger cage for Jesus. Ha! <laughs> Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plain, and the mountains in reply. Thank <laughs> you.